Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. You know, we're getting really bad at trying to be creative with these, aren't we? We are. We are getting pretty bad. <laughs> you should just go back to the way it used to be. Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. So, um, there's a conversational grab bag. I forget which volume we're on. I think number four. This is like the fourth or fifth episode where we've just like grab bag conversation kind of stuff. Um, we've each been playing a bunch of stuff. You've been watching a show. Yes, I that have is been watching a an, show. A show that is very interesting. So, rock, paper, scissors to see who begins. Rock, paper, scissors, go. Rock, paper, scissors, go. We should probably... <laughs> we we <laughs> just both did scissors, then we both did paper. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yes! <laughs> um, he got paper, I did rock. Chris wins. Uh, I wasn't going to risk another tie, even though that was... It's a shame. It was a great visual gag for an audio-only format. It so. was. <laughs> um, all right, so... Oh my goodness, which do I even want to start with? Because I've been playing a lot of stuff lately. I beat a lot of stuff lately. Um, I think I'll first go into, I recently streamed and completed Resident Evil 7. I originally avoided playing it because like, I played the, the demo when it came out. And for me, first person horror I learned from Alien Isolation is just, it, it, it gives me too much of the like I just, I like, if, if you recall, when Alien Isolation came out, there would be nights where I'd be like, let's play Destiny, because I need something to just relax to. Yeah. Like, after playing Alien Isolation, like, it's like, I, 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 need, to, I need something to just cool down. Like, um, and Resident Evil 7 was a little bit different, because I, I did play it on easy mode. I totally wimped out and was like, all right, I'm going to play on easy. Um, I already knew some of what to expect in the early stages of the game, at least. And also, playing a game like that on stream... With other people in the chat makes it a bit less nerve-wracking actually um it's like you, you don't feel alone alone like There's a little bit to pull you out of the yeah the, the yeah the, the experience the immersion whatever else it is that makes it extra scary the benefit is there are moments that people get to witness me be genuinely surprised or shocked and in one case uh, be unable to contain my laughter because now I have a flamethrower. So, like, <laughs> um, it's so it, it's an interesting experience because I also played the medium, which is supposed to be more psychological horror, and yet was completely ineffective in that matter. And I did write about that game, but for Resident Evil Seven, it was very effective for most of it because I didn't know, you know, what the con what are the consequences for death? How far back do I go? Does this game have checkpoints? I didn't know, and I think I actually managed, I mean, I did play it on easy mode, so I didn't die the whole game. Um, but it's still, you know, is just great with the atmosphere and great with the element of, I don't know where the enemy is. They're wandering around, they're a threat. How much ammo are they gonna take before they're put down? Lots of good stuff with that, but it also worked best in the earlier moments when you are running away from just one guy, um, just one person roaming around. And you're trying to figure out, okay, I need to find this key to open up this door, to do this, to do this. There's always this, this element of you're not quite sure what to expect next. And then they introduce the molded, which are a very bland visually monster creature that is a bullet sponge. And it reaches, like, when once they're introduced, it's like every room. There's at least one, maybe two. And they're not there the whole game. But they they just throw them in and they feel so out of place compared to everything else. Like, for, like up until that point, you're used to very specific monsters, right? And you're also introduced to the idea that there's a bunch of people that went missing. You get a specific number and a specific, specific number that were dead or turned. And it feels like these molded are supposed to be the people that quote-unquote turned. Um, but there's way too many in the game in order to make up for that. So it feels like the game really should have minimized the use of the molded. But by the end, like the final stretch of the game is basically just a corridor where every time you enter a room, there's probably two behind you. And then there's a couple other, you just got to keep shooting them. And there's no puzzles anymore. There's just 
these creatures and it's no longer horrifying. Hmm. It's no longer interesting in any way. It's like the, 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 the best parts of the game end up being left behind. Um, so it's funny how I feel like that is a big problem with game finales in general is often the finale of the game fails to capture what made the rest of the game interesting. Yeah, and it does feel like there's a finale at like the six hour mark, but there's like two more hours of game, two to three more hours of game after that. And I have mixed feelings about that because it wraps up the story. It lets you know what actually happened here, but it also feels kind of like kind of rushed because you find out what happened in the household. But then there's a bunch of little bit of stuff that's like, I don't completely grasp the context of like why this happened, where this came from, what was really going on here. And then um, it's just rushed into this little point in the end where it's very, very, again, like very video game And I hate using that term because I play video mm -hmm. games because they're video games, you know? But it's like when you're establishing a certain mood that gives this certain impression and you get you establish this like believability to the world, then you suddenly like just drop all of that pretense in order to be an action video game. It's like this this doesn't feel right. It feels like you took this brilliant new reinvention of what Resident Evil means and then just duct taped Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil Revelations, like all these more action-oriented Resident Evils to the end of it. Interesting. Um, so for the most part, it's a really good game. That part's a little like meh, but otherwise like very good. I highly recommend Resident Evil 7 if you can play it. Um, I will try and be putting together highlights of my experience playing the game so that they can be somewhat preserved. Um, so yeah, twitch.tv slash rumblepack64, maybe you'll see. I already got one highlight of my first time playing. Um, I'll try and add more. Um, but yeah, now, your turn. My turn. So my most recent game I finished was Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, so I don't know that Chris is going to play this anytime soon. Um, it would need to drop in price on PC, and again, I'm waiting to see if they do a definitive right. edition. Right. So right. at least so, a year out. So yeah, at least a year out. So I'm not going to... Hold my breath to hold anything for a spoiler cast or anything like that. Yep. So, wise move. So this is a game. I described it in a, in a chat as it's a trail of trash that occasionally leads you to a pile of diamonds. <laughs> is that's my back of the box quote for it. There is. So, there are just some some really great parts. There's like some A plus S tier parts of this game both in terms of the construction of the game and the world and other things and the missions uh, and quests that you go on and, and just, and it's just, but it's such a mixed bag. So as an example, I think the Night City is really an achievement in game design, just the city itself. The fact that the, one of those, one of those going back to say like Grand Theft Auto 3, I don't know, is this whole idea, even as recent as say Spider-Man, um, any any open world game, there's this sort of tension between there's all these cool buildings, all this stuff, but most of it is just set dressing. Yeah. There's not really there. Where Cyberpunk does a great job of having, every, well not every building obviously has a yeah. purpose. There, I feel like the interactability in the world is significantly deeper than anything else I've played. Where this random building that looks like it's just set dressing. Well, there's actually a quest that's set in this building and you, you get the quest and you can go inside or even if it's just that building happens to have an elevator up to the next street level because there's multiple street levels and things like that. But it actually makes it feel like it has a function in the world other than set dressing. Yeah. And so that's one of the big achievements, I think, of the game is just the world feels interesting and even though there's stupid glitchy stuff and the NPCs and pedestrians are kind of dumb and the other drivers on the road are kind of a mixed bag and things like that it just there there's something there that I think is it's ambitious at the very least yeah and I will okay so I will say this in your favor because you you and I like 
I like to troll you sometimes. Or mm-hmm. by troll you, I mean I like to tell you you're wrong a lot of times. Yes. Um, and, you know, going back after having played Witcher 3, and even looking at parts of Cyberpunk, even like if you disregard the glitches and some of the other stuff that breaks that immersion, if. Because it's like you talk about going into buildings, and I think one of the Grand Theft Autos did that. But even then, like, Judgment or Yakuza Like a Dragon as you're playing. You can go into the buildings, but you're not only dealing with a smaller square space, like a smaller, like, set of, set yeah. of city blocks. Like, you just had that jank in Like a Dragon. Like, I just watched you have that jank where you're trying to walk into the restaurant. You're firstly uncertain where the door is, but that's partially your fault. But also, like, there's just this elements of how you interact with the environment. Right. That definitely feels like it's a little got, got a little bit of jank. Witcher feels better when you're walking by citizens. Like, you can brush up closer to people without knocking into them. And Yakuza's really bad about that. Um, that's one of the more annoying things about Yakuza, where it's like, I'm just trying to yes. walk down the sidewalk, and you barely, like, even look at someone, and they're knocked back, kind of thing. Yeah. So there is a difference in production value there. So for me, like, mechanically speaking, Yakuza does what a lot of these guys are already wanting to do, but also does it on a smaller budget, and what, for you, when you play a game like Cyberpunk, you're not only looking at the, the, the scope of the city, the size of it, the production value. Of it. Right. There's a, there's a, and I think there is something to be said for the the scope, where there's this huge city. It's, it's several in-game kilometers across. Yeah. And it's just completely filled up. And... There's a, and then that's just that's kind of like the more of a technical kind of thing. Another thing you mentioned, it was interesting you're talking about the sort of how first person can have a different effect on you. One of the things they do really well with the the cutscenes and other things in Cyberpunk is the other than a couple of places like when you're driving, you have the option to go third person. Yeah. Um, it's a first-person game that never breaks first-person. Uh, similar to, say, maybe like um, the original Half-Life, uh, mm. where they, you know Half-Life Two even, where it, it and they use that to a great emotional effect when they have you, you know, they have you, you're, you're having a conversation with somebody, and you say, you know, um, you know, the fixer who's going to get you jobs at the bar, and so you know, you come. And they've got a seat for you, and they kind of motion to the seat, and you sit in the seat. <laughs> but it, it adds sometimes it adds a sense of claustrophobia because you're looking around. You know, here's the guy giving me the job, and you look to your right. There's a bodyguard. You look up. There's a bodyguard. <laughs> there's and you're having a conversation, and it feels natural in a way that, that you can. You're you're having the conversation. You're looking around. You're scoping out the environment. No, or like for a lot of these cutscenes, is your character standing still? Like you can't actually move him physically, but you can look around. There's a mix. So a lot of times it has you sit. So like, oh, let's let's go sit at the bar, and then you have a conversation sitting okay. at the bar. Sometimes you can you can be walking around a little bit. You have a little bit of freedom of movement while you're doing it, and and then yeah, or they like doing the car thing. Um, you go, you know, you go for, in a car and either you drive and they're the passenger talking to you or they drive and you're the passenger and you're having a conversation in a car. But it's things like that that just, they feel natural and immersive because that's what real people do, right? Yeah, yeah. Real people get in a car to go drive somewhere and have a conversation. And you have the conversation options aren't just like, you know, you go through the mission details and you have the option to skip the ride or you can say, well, you know, how'd you get mixed up in this whole thing? Okay. Oh, you're from the East Coast. Oh, you know, how'd you get out to Night City? And well, you know, my dad was uh, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You get the, you, can, you have that option. You can say, you know, skip to destination or like tell me some backstory while we're driving. And it feels immersive in that way. Like you're driving with somebody. With somebody, yeah. And you're forced, you're stuck in a car with somebody. And so you're just... Force in the dialogue. Force in the dialogue. Or you can keep quiet. Like, do you have or the you, option to keep you, quiet? You can say nothing. There you you go. can yeah, you can say nothing and just sit and ride. You can skip ahead to the destination, or you can have conversation. I like the option for co- uncomfortable silence. Yeah, I like the option for that. Um, 
the, the reason why I brought some of that up, though, like I asked about like the, the movement specifically, because I think about um, Half-Life, right? Mm. And one of the big things, especially with Half-Life 2, like people talk about, like, I remember especially at the time, like the early aughts kind of a thing. A lot of people wanted to get rid of traditional cinematic cutscenes altogether. Like, it's like there were two camps of player, and there were some that like thought you, you just get rid of cutscenes altogether. No more cutscenes. Everything in character. And I never really f- was. Like, I never really liked that direction because I felt like it was good for certain kinds of games. But like Half Life Two, I'm constantly like the, the the story's going on, and I'm constantly just looking around places like, oh, what's this? What's this? And yeah. I'm not listening. Yeah. So it doesn't really it's like like they'll do things like. If you're having a conversation with somebody and you and you start exploring the environment, they'll be like, you know, the hell are you doing? Get back here, yeah. like, that kind of thing. Like, so they actually respond. I like that. Actually, I like that, that in the game. That's happening a couple like, times. Because isn't that what you would do in real life? Like, yeah. And that's the, that's the funny thing. It's like you, you jump back. Like, jumping back to Half Life Two is a weird experience because you watch the cutscenes and it's like. Oh, Gordon, you're such a wonderful person. We're glad you're here, Gordon, most wonderful person in the universe. Now, let's listen, Gordon. While And meanwhile, Gordon Freeman's just sitting there, like, hopping around, like, on top of everything. <laughs> it's like, it, it's like you know, who is this guy? And everyone just loves him? Like, what is going on? And He never says a word. He never says a word. They're crowbarring all the lab equipment right. as Eli and, uh, and uh, Alex Vance. Yeah. Uh, as Eli and Alex are sitting there like, oh, it's a good thing you're here, Gordon, but let's stay away from Ravenholm. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. The, other th- yeah. the other thing about Cyberpunk is it was shorter than I expected. I was ready to commit to like 60 hours. I and- heard that, especially about the main story. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, I was thinking, the way I was playing, like I I pretty much hit every, every gig that I was given a call on, I did. I did most of the side stories. I managed to, like, I looked up what your, like, romantic options were. I managed to encounter all the romantic options and do quests with them, even if I didn't actually want to romance Romance any of them, okay. Yeah. The only one I was actually, I would have romanced was one that was not a orientation option for my character. So, oh well. Um, But... I love that idea, though. So you go through this whole thing, and the person said they're like, so, uh, you maybe want to get coffee sometime? And you're just like, no thanks, I don't like coffee. See ya! Yeah. And it's well, like, like, complete, like... <laughs> well, you know, they, they, do, they do the whole thing like, you know, um, you know, character, you know, this, the NPC looks looks at you, and, you know, you, you guys are... You after finishing a... Um, right, yeah. After finishing whatever story, they look, the NPC looks at you like... Man, really nice to be up here like this. Maybe we should, and you know, and then you're you have like the option, you're like kiss, like have a beer, like whatever. And you're just like have a beer, <laughs> like to uh, you know <laughs> something, whatever. It is. I wonder if I could spit on someone from up here, you know? Yeah. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> Complete but, tension. Right, breaker. right. Yeah. So like it, it kind of, and sometimes it gives you the awkwardness. One of the things I remember, the the most memorable moment for me in Dragon Quest Two, was Mm. one of the one of the characters was like, you know, I was trying to build up maximum reputation, but basically like I took it too far with one character, and then he was like pushing me to be in a relationship, and I'm like, no, I don't want that, and then I like lost two reputation points with that character, and he got mad at me. Oh no! And it was just like I remember that, and it was just like one of those memorable things. Like, wait, like you can do that? <laughs> well, you could do that in the previous game. You didn't know that? Maybe I feel like it was. It was more maybe because essentially every character was theoretically romanceable, practically, mm. and not just like um, you know two or three options. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it made it like more easy that you would you would have, like, built up the rep. Anyway, um, I really, like, if you are somebody like me who can get past frame rate issues, get past some jankiness, some Unless bugs, it's Monster Hunter World. <laughs> okay, 
here's, here's I did. I did not want to open that can of worms. You opened the can of worms. I just wanted to poke fun. Want to poke fun? The cyberpunk excels at the things that I needed cyberpunk to excel in, which are the character interactions, the core story, the writing, all of that kind of stuff. Cyberpunk knocks out of the park. Cyberpunk <laughs> is the kind of game where they may have advertised it as essentially being smut uh, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. But Cyberpunk is the kind of game where... You don't play it in front of your kids. You don't play it in front of your kids. But where, like, there's a quest that where you, you know, you're trying to find the right way to eulogize your dead friend. And you're going through all of his stuff and learning things you didn't know about him and trying to find the right words to say at his funeral. And this is like... A fairly a fairly long side quest in order to do this, and and this is that kind of game. <laughs> I and some of a people really lowbrow awful joke. Oh no! And some people are going to some people are going to hate that. Some people are like, I just like skip, 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 skip. We're yeah. gonna bring the bottle of tequila and say what a fun guy he was. And then you know yeah. other people are gonna look into and realize that you know, oh well, because he never knew his father well. He, you know, felt the need to be the protector for his mother and to be that father figure to... Or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, like, there's like this deep emotional stuff in the game. And some people are into that, some people are I'm into that stuff. Yeah. And so I'm going to forgive the fact that I just glitched through a wall. Now, was that a main quest or a side quest? That was a main side quest, I would say. Okay, don't play with me. Did that Was that required to beat the game? No. Okay, see, and that's one of the interesting things. It feels like that kind of content, which a lot of people label the strongest content, is also all optional. Yeah. I would, I would that's get... a weird thing, because that is one of the funny things I've heard, is like the main quest on its own is not really all that very interesting. Other than Keanu Reeves sure. being a national treasure. Uh, no, no, that's, that's uh, Nicolas Cage. Ah! But uh, he... But... Keanu Reeves is the one who's breathtaking. Yes. But anyway, yeah, no, it's true. Keanu Reeves' performance, but even then, some of his best performance moments are in the optional parts exactly, of the main yeah. quest. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like, it feels like a lot of the best stuff is all optional, which yeah. I guess you could say that even about Witcher 3 in some ways, but like it's, it's interesting that they do that because, I don't know, maybe they wanted to like not force people to spend 80 million hours through the main quest. Or maybe they just couldn't get all their ducks right. in a row and just... I'm guessing if you like slapped it on easy mode, you could probably clear the game in, in under 20, probably. Yeah. Um, because obviously this is, this is the kind of game where you're going to want to have various upgrades and higher levels and all that kind of thing to go into, especially the sort of final boss fight it was helpful to have a lot of the upgrades and, and stuff. Yeah. I just, I hacked the final boss fight to death. It was amazing. Yeah. And, and then I busted him in the back of the head with my dead friend's gun. I watched my niece play near, near play the end of Near Automata. And it was funny because she loved 9S. And she loved his hacking ability. So yes, she too hacked the final boss to death whenever she could. Nice. <laughs> uh, that was fun to watch her play. That was fun to watch her beat that game. And fun to hear some of her reactions. Um, yeah, that's a great game. Speaking of games that don't uh, peter out in the final moments and instead the, final, the finale of the game is literally just mushes everything you loved about the game into, into like one block actually and that's the funny thing like even watching her play it's not a slog of a final of a final dungeon except again her 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 skill with action games because she doesn't have a foundation of a lot of them required her to have a whole bunch of like auto chips on so so much of combat was done automatically and Parts of that final boss were taking her a while. Hmm. Uh, so it was kind of funny to watch and be like, man, I don't remember it being like this. Right. Um, because you, you, your chips were filled with attack enhancements and whatever else. And so, I actually learned the combat system. Well, yeah. 
But no, that sounds very, 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 very uh, insulting, I guess, the way I put it. But it's like, I also think it is good on Platinum that they were able to put things in there so that, like, yeah, my niece wouldn't just give up, like, partway through the game. She was able to play through the entire story and still enjoy it. Um, yeah. And I should add, so I played Cyberpunk on a PS4 Pro. Playable. Um, there were issues... Um, the frame rate was not, like, in combat, was not the best. Yeah. Not the best. Um, so, if you are thinking about playing Cyberpunk, I would probably be best on a PC, if you have a PC to handle it, um, or a next-gen console. If you've, if you've got current-gen, like, if you've got a Series X or a PS4 Pro, you're probably fine. I don't think I would recommend it on a baseline current gen console because I was actually I was playing on a PS4 with an SSD or PS4 mm. Pro with an SSD that might help yeah and even things like like where, where it comes in is say stealth isn't required but stealth is the best way to do things sometimes yeah and have you that's the other actually that's the other condition if it actually pops up on Game Pass at some point I may play it there yeah um but the um, the loading issue with with any any stealth game has it right when you what when you, when die you fail the stealth it? condition when you you get you get seen when you didn't want to get seen or you die or whatever else reload or just like you mess something up reload and it takes like a full minute to reload your game yeah. it's a problem. <laughs> But anyway, so moving on. Or you can just go with it, be like, oh, I screwed up, now I'm just going to kill everybody. Sometimes I did that. It would be nice if more games were like Dishonored in that regard, but then again, Dishonored was designed with stealth in mind. Uh, bottom to top, so. Um, Alright, next game up, I'm, I'm torn between a couple of things. I'm almost done Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Ooh. This is technically a game, I this is the third time I've bought it. I got it for the Wii when it released. I got it for the 3DS when it was a new Nintendo 3DS exclusive. And I got it again now that it's on the Switch. And this is also the fourth or fifth time I've started the game. But it's... I'm at the end. I'm at the final stretch. It is a good game that actually has a lot of interesting ideas going for it. I like its story. The final stretch is a pain in the butt because I have to grind. And the worst part about it is... Because this is what I've been sitting on for a, a post for my blog in a while. And I haven't written about it. Because, like, Witcher 3. How are you going to level up? Side quests. Why? Because monsters don't give enough experience to make it worth grinding monsters to level up. So you're going to want to do and go and do quests. Xenoblade Chronicles is technically the same way. You want to do quests because it's the quickest, most efficient way to gain experience. And early in the game, most of these quests are very brief. It's like, go over here, kill five of these enemies that spawn in like droves, and then, you know, quest completed once it's done. Right. Um, killing monster quests doesn't really award experience because you get experience for killing the monsters, but um, it's similar where it's like, okay, go around and like gather these different items around the environment. A lot of times they'll be marked on the map. Um, so early in the game, side quests are quick, they're a great way to just boost your levels, and early on, like, I was always ahead of level where I, where I needed to be. The problem with that is the game has a way of balancing it by reducing the amount of experience you get for fighting enemies at a lower level. Now, that's also fine because if you're, like, roughly five levels above an enemy, they just ignore you. So the, it actually makes it very easy to avoid combat in dungeons, so a dungeon doesn't take too long, yada yada, and then you just side quest to level up. Fine, great, until eventually the side quests become fewer, they award less experience, mm. and the enemies take more to destroy and kill, and there end up being multiple steps to quests go to this location of the world, then go to this location of the world, and then go to this location of the world. But fine. 
you know, I did all that stuff anyway. I basically multitasked while I was like, you know, watching someone stream while I was playing the game. But now I'm in the final stretch and I'm in the final dungeon. And I can skip most of the enemies because I just don't want to fight them. I want to go to the boss. The, bo the first of many bosses in the final dungeon is too difficult for me to beat. I have to use a different character if I want to successfully defeat them um, to do some real damage than my regular character. Okay. But that means I just... I lose a little bit of healing and I lose other things to manage aggro and all this other stuff. So it's like, okay, I clearly have to level up. Well, I leave the final dungeon, go across the world trying to find side quests, and they all require me to be 10 or 20 levels higher than I am. Keep in mind, I'm level 72. So wow. they require me to be either, like, these aren't, end, these aren't end, end game quests to prepare you for the final boss. These are end game quests for after the final boss or something. I don't know. It's just really frustrating to now be in this spot and I'm either going to have to effectively grind some of the monsters in the final dungeon to try and level up a little bit at least, or I'm just going to shove it down to casual and just whatever, man. This is, this is like, this is the JRPG problem. Because this has happened to me more than once. It happened to me on Star Ocean 3, I remember in particular, um, where it was like, I needed to grind and there was just nothing to grind. Um, and, like, I feel like it is, it's happened to me in other ones where, right, where either I've ended up giving up, or if, if there wasn't an option to reduce difficulty, reducing difficulty, I think that was one of the East games I did that, um, or, or, yeah, just, like, grinding my brains out, uh, in order to get enough experience. And it stinks, because it's, like, a, such, such a halt of momentum, right? Like, one of the great things about Final Fantasy XV is once you were on track to beat the game, it was just, boom, there you go. Yeah. You could technically fight enemies, do a little bit more grinding, I think, but it's like, the final dungeon was the grind, right? And yeah. That's part of the thing. Like, I am avoiding fights in that final dungeon because, again, I'm at a point in the game where they take a while. There's all these branching paths. So it's like, okay, I can either, like, just get to the content that I want or I can waste a bunch of time, like, and you're fighting like, enemies. They're not going to give me that much experience in the long run. And what are you, like, 90 hours into the game? Not that much, actually. It's about 60 hours. 60 hours. Okay. Um, but this is where I can understand why people were like, yeah, it's like a 70, 80 hour game. Because it's like, I'm at the final dungeon, I can't beat the, the, grind the first of the bosses. You 10 hours before you can... And it's a shame because boss. it's not that bad of an idea that it's like, okay, switch to this character as your leader that you control, because they do the ether attacks that are going to deal a lot of damage because this enemy clear this boss clearly has resistance to physical attacks. So it's like, okay, I figured something out. And the different character like most of the, the the game's combat is kind of like single player MMO. You are controlling just one character. Your first three party members are your basic, you know, you have your DPS, you have your aggro, and you got your healer. That's your basic team. Right. You get other members that are also interesting in all the things that they can do, and they somewhat fit those. But, like, the biggest issue, even if you have other people that can draw aggro, you don't have anyone else that can really heal. And so most of your alternate like combinations require at least that healer. Or something else. And it's like there's no other efficient team for most of the game, like 90% of the game, than that first trio. Um, so I did experiment with some of the different characters at different points. And I found it interesting, like, how they all deferred very greatly. Um, it actually makes me wish there was, like, they took this combat system and these character classes and made, like, a four-player co-op. JRPG like this. That'd be interesting. It would be interesting because it's like right now it's either and MMO I played, or... So I played a good bit of Xenoblade Chronicles so I kind of remember on the Wii you know yeah 10 years ago at this point. And it's like it's it's an interesting combat system I really liked it and this is technically an interesting idea but it's like it requires me to level up my characters. I need to level up my characters or again just see what happens if I knock it down to casual. Because it's like, I do not 
want to grind. I am, like, at the doorstep of beating this game. And it's like, at this point, it's like, well, I can either sit there and grind just so I can say gamer pride or whatever. Or I can switch it to casual, beat it, and move on to the next game. Valkyria Chronicles, Grandia HD, Steam World Quest. Uh, one of those, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's... It, the it's, Messenger. It's a shit... Not on my Switch. Oh, on the Switch. I'll play it on... Eventually, I'll play it on Game Pass, but... Um, maybe. Uh, but no, like, Xenoblade Chronicles, like, it is mostly a really good game and probably still one of the better JRPGs because, like, there's a lot of little stuff that it does. It does creative things with the, the, the token love interest, right? Mm-hmm. It does, like, especially if you, if you remember anything about playing it before, it's, like, they do a lot in the very beginning that's pretty surprising Caught me off guard and basically was like, oh, so we're not following that trope. And then uh, yeah, yeah. Shulk himself is actually a really interesting JRPG protagonist because he's not like, I'm a shonen gonna do whatever's right and we're gonna... He's not Deku from Sigan My yeah. Hero Academia. Like, he, like, Deku is the prototypical JRPG protagonist. I don't care if it breaks both my arms and my legs and I die. Like, I'm gonna... We're... Justice! <laughs> righteousness! And all the kind of other yeah, stuff. Like, yeah. Shulk is, like, straight up, like, you know... These things wrecked our town. I want all of them dead. That's the beginning of his character. He's intelligent. He's intellectual. He thinks about things. And he's out for blood. Like, he's auto- automatically, he's like, okay, we don't have, like, you know, I'm going to fight because that's what I do. It's like, you know, for justice. It's like, okay, he's actually smart. He thinks about things. Now he's, you know, filled with a, a desire for revenge and anger. And he has an arc as the game goes on where he experiences self-doubt. He, you know, questions, you know, how much he should tell other people. And he, he, his mission changes because he, he finds new information. He starts wondering, like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the way we ought to go? Should we change our direction? And as a result, it's it feels fresh. Like, it's not the most amazing story in the JRPG I've played, but it's it still feels refreshing. Ten years on, it's still probably a better example of the genre, post-2000 kind of a thing, so... It's just, dang, why do they make me grind? So, I'm just going to play it on casual mode if I ever go back. Maybe. I wouldn't I wouldn't say don't do it, but... I mean, for me, too, sometimes. Unless the combat system is just incredibly interesting, it's, you know... If you switch characters, it might become that. But okay. Alright, so my turn. Let me think. So... Other things on my list, I have talked a little bit, I think, about um, Immortals Phoenix Rising on the podcast. A little bit. Maybe a touch. So, I'm, I have, I have mixed feelings on it at this stage. So, I think that most of the core aspects of the game are really strong. The puzzles are really well done. The, you know, the general world and stuff like that, I like... The way that they do the whole the arm the armor system, you know, the upgrades are kind of make sense. But the upgrade system is kind of where it, it starts going off the rails a little bit for me. So this is a game that's basically the way I feel is it's very focused on you grinding your butt off to upgrade your gear and get resources before you continue with the story. So I got through, so the, the, the gist of the, the core game is, you know, um, the you're the last hope for mankind, the remaining gods from the Olympian pantheon, other than, well Zeus has gone to go get Prometheus's help. And that's your, kind of your framing device, is Prometheus is telling the story of Phoenix, Fennec, whatever, Phoenix? Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix. Phoenix. Marcus Fennec, sir, no. Um, a Phoenix to Zeus. Um, which is, th- that works very well. Prometheus and Zeus's conversation, the way they have fun 
with the some of the Greek myths and keep it still kind of keep it PG rated, um, where you can you can then go look up the real version for yourself and and gasp. find out how not. PG right. rated it is. Yeah, how not PG rated the birth of Aphrodite is. Oh uh, gosh. Um, so, like, you know, uh, Zeus will, you know, kind of relate, oh, you know, the the pearl rolled into the ocean and from the foam that was, you know, came, Aphrodite was born. And then Prometheus is like, like come a little closer. And he's like, cut it off and and then, you know, then like, then oh my you can goodness. kind of like, and they just they they keep it PG, but then also like, you yeah, know, there's lots of and then Zeus is like, you, why would you say that? And, you know, get away from me. Um, oh my goodness! But the so they do a really good job with the framing device, and that kind of that stuff's really fun. But so anyway, so you're trying. All of the other gods have been separated from their essences. Essences. And so you need to find them. And then basically the funny thing is they've all essentially become better for being, because if you've ever read Greek mythology, you know, all the Greek gods are jerks. Yes. They've all become better for this, but you, in order to save the world, you need to get them their essence back, turn them into jerks again and get them all back together. Essentially. That's weird. It's kind of weird. It feels like you're becoming the bad guy. It's like a weird twist. Like, it is. It is a weird twist. Like Aphrodite has become a tree, and she's basically taken to that. Like the real beauty is the world all around her, and so she becomes this tree that has unlimited supplies of fruit that she feeds everything, all the animals and everything else. And so she, she, you know, has now. Un- understood that true beauty is making other things beautiful and all this other stuff and you're like nah take this essence you know and be your old like you oh know, my goodness your old self again so that we can stop typhon who's you know trying to destroy all the gods and everything anyway so that's the setup so i got through i'd say aries which is the second one after you kind of logically and it just feels like it wants me to just upgrade, upgrade, upgrade in order to actually for these fights to be feasible. Yeah. To not have perfect 100% precision. But then the game's systems don't necessarily like lend themselves to that sort of precision. Where you're often fighting, you know, multiple enemies. You've got kind of weird AoE attacks. Um you have a dodge that gives you very small if any invulnerability window in the dodge um, where you're constantly getting hit in your dodge often by a second enemy so you're like you're fighting mm. so one of the most the last boss fight i did it's a it the boss spawns like one like major mob and then two smaller ones and the boss, so then you have to fight, and then you have to kill the, the mobs it spawns in order to break its shield to damage the boss. So you're going to need at least three rounds of this to take down the boss. But most of the major mobs do have, like, big attacks. And it's like, invariably, I'm attacking, I dodge out of, you know, the major mob's attack. And then the boss, the boss just, like, spears me. Oof. I'm like, bro. And it just, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff where it doesn't feel like it's made to lend towards the sort of precision of a Dark Souls type game. But in order to beat the fights without grinding and grinding to upgrade your gear and to have 100 potions in your pocket, it requires that level of precision. So it just gets a little frustrating. Did you purchase this game digitally? No, I have it on. Uh, I have it on Switch on a, on a card. Maybe I can borrow it sometime because I don't know if I want to buy it. There's some elements of it that make me like. Honestly, there are like from what I've seen of cutscenes, some of the writing makes me like. Like it's it's a mix. But, um, so some of it is like I am curious about it though. So maybe if I get an opening, which who knows what what because tomorrow night like it all 
it'll already have happened by the time this goes up, but tomorrow night, Nintendo Direct, we'll see what the next few months bring. We'll see. Because um, that's the thing, like, right now, it's, like, after March, April, May, June, like, there's so much free calendar. Um, yeah. But... So, right now, my recommendation is, I've been playing on normal... Uh, my son actually started on story mode. He hasn't gotten quite as far as I have. My recommendation is if you want to play it, unless you want, I guess what I feel like, I feel like mechanically and then just in terms of the actual depth of the world, this game is not worth the time it wants you to put in to beat it on normal. See, one of the reasons I'm now intrigued to play it is so I can play it and then come back and be like, okay, Steve, here's what you were doing wrong in combat. Right, right, right. Here's <laughs> here's what you were doing. Here's what you don't do. I mean, so like I have actually done, there, there was at least one fight where I was clearly not prepared for it. And I, um, it was, I forget the name. It's a giant six-armed boss. I want to say it was how you get Ares Essence. Initially, um, I was not prepared. I had zero potions, zero anything, and I beat it, but it was a single boss. I learned all of his attacks and his patterns, and I, I did it old school. Yeah. I learned when to dodge, you know, when, when were my, how many strikes I could get in per attack window, and that sort of thing. But I also just feel like the, like the system itself just doesn't warrant that level. Like this doesn't feel to me like a game that warrants that level of dedication to beating a boss. Yeah. Like it's the where yeah, with with a with when I played Demon Souls, it felt like the game was in terms of the precision it gave me, the arsenal it gave me and other the options it gave me. The game earned the level of dedication it took to beat it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, well, the story's good and it's funny and other things. And it could also be because I'm playing on the Switch and maybe that's a slightly inferior version in some ways. Possibly. That That's kind of letting me down. I just don't feel like the game is, has earned the, the level of dedication it wants me to put into it. I can see that. So, but I, I, mean, I am enjoying it, so it's kind of a mixed bag. All right. Um, I think, uh, to try and keep things short this time, the last thing I'll talk about tonight is, um, another game I've been playing recently. I, actually, I just picked it up randomly this week. Uh, Toho Luna Nights. I technically started this before, um, because it was the prior game to the developer, Team Ladybug, who is now working on the Record of Lotus War Deedlet Wonder Labyrinth game. Um, I don't remember if I talked about that on the podcast. I know I streamed it. I might stream more of it because I have it early access. Why? I love the Record of Lotus War OVA. This was a very beautiful looking Metroidvania. So I was like, all right, I'll early access it. I'll play it. Toho Luna Nights is the first game that they developed, or prior game that they okay. developed. And both of these games have taught me that Team Ladybug is an indie developer I want to keep my eye on. Because they're definitely more influenced by the Vania of Metroidvania. But it's, they have these unique twists to put on them. Beautiful art, great music, both of them. And they both are running on the same engine and have a lot of similarities. Like if you were to look at the two of them, you'd think there's not a lot of difference between how they're both built, but there's actually a lot of difference in how you play them. Um, like Toho Luna Knights is only one weapon. Like you have your one weapon. You don't have, you don't swap out like an RPG or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Record of Lotus War, Deedle on Wonder Labyrinth, you do pick up different weapons, like spears, a big great sword. Um, and that's where some of the animation quality really stands out. Because her attack animations for the different weapons are all unique. And like, I, I know when I was streaming, like, I was swinging the great sword, and her one leg lifts up after she swings it. So it's like this really, like, just great artwork, great animation. Um, but... What Record of Lotus War does is it gives you two different elemental spirits. Um, Will of the Wisp and I think Salamander. And they have a sort of Ikaruga element to it. Mm. Like, do you, you remember playing Oh, Ikaruga? yeah, Ikaruga, the black and white. And you had to, yeah. the black could, like, you could go through the black ones and the white. And so you had to, like, yeah. 
And it was so, also, yeah, yeah. You'll have puzzles where you'll need to switch from one element to the next in order to prevent taking damage from one of those. So you want to be fire to, to avoid taking damage from fire, but then you need to swap to Lord of the Wisp to avoid taking damage from, I guess, wind. Um, and it's basically like, you know, orange and blue color. And where this really comes into play is during boss fights, where bosses will be throwing, like, both different elements and... It gives that, again, just like Igaruga's Bullet Hell, you'll have to be quickly swapping between them. And certain enemies are also weak to different you elements. You said this is a 3D platformer? No, 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 2D. 2D. It's, it's yeah. side-scroller. It's all side-scroller. All side-scroller. Side um, Record of Lotus War is the only PC right now because early access. Toho Luna Knights is not, but, like, Record, dude, Record of Lotus War is up your alley. Trust me. Um, because the boss fights are, and that's the thing, it's still in early access. I haven't played Stage two and uh, stage 3 and 4 yet. Um, the, because I'll be able to next week, maybe I'll stream it sometimes since I could stream more often next week. So, um, it's a blast though. And so like this, this, this Monday, no, this Sunday, um, I woke up an hour before my alarm was going to go off. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I was like, you know what? I'm in the mood for a game that's, you know, a bit more simple but still, you know, side-scrolling, action-oriented and stuff. So instead of booting up the Messenger on Game Pass, I booted up Toho Luna Nights. But Toho Luna Nights is similar, only instead of having a melee weapon, your character has, uh, like, daggers that they throw. And hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Cause now, I'm, just, I'm just thinking that I'm going to have to go download this later. Yes, you will. Um, now, here, here's the thing. The story is going to be absolutely confusing uh, uh, regardless because it's evidently part of this greater Toho project. And I think this is just like a bunch of characters and a setting that they have a whole bunch of developers just work on. Like, it's... it's I, like, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's continuity. I don't know the core of it. Just different developers. Like, these guys did a fighting game of these characters. These guys did a bullet hell of these characters. Okay. This one is a Metroidvania with these characters. So it's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who these people are. All I know is I'm playing a maid that throws daggers and gets the ability to stop time. And the ability to stop time is one of those things that really helps make the game what it is. Because you'll find platform... Like, firstly, it's like for certain enemies, you want to stop time and, you know, throw the knives and then let it just kill them. And of course, there's only so much time, right? Like available, um, moving increases the speed at which you lose time. Um, attacking when time is frozen decreases the amount of time time okay, the right. amount the time can be frozen. So it's management of that. But there's also this element called graze, and what graze does is if you have time stopped, go near an enemy and it'll add on to your magic points and to your um, your time if you do it without time stop so time moving if you get really close to an enemy or really close to their attack but avoid taking damage you restore health so after you take damage it actually encourages you to take more risks in order to restore some of that lost health um and with some of the backstep like like a there's no real backstep dodge okay. kind of a thing but you move quickly enough but Effectively, what I started to do is I get close to an enemy, graze, pause time, and then you know move a little bit because you you get of course you're able to upgrade how much health you have, how much magic points. And the magic points that's the thing like throwing da like all them daggers cost magic points, so right. that's also a resource that you got to be careful of. If the daggers are stuck in the wall or environment, you can walk by, pick them back up, and restore some of your magic oh, that's points. Cool. Your magic points also gradually restore regardless. But if you're use if you're like attacking too often and you've not given yourself enough time to recover, which can be an issue in boss fights, then next thing you know, you won't be able to attack at all. Um, so the game has this really interesting. I just fought the fourth boss of the game, and like there was all these interesting moments where I would have to um, let her almost attack me, just so I could get that graze to restore some health, stop time avoid the attack and then um you know and you're all, yeah. all trying to like throw you know your knives at the enemy damage them avoid these bullet hellish moments 
And they even have um, elements of the, both the platforming and enemies, and evidently I've discovered attacks, where if you... If there's an object outlined in, say, pink, it'll keep moving even if you stop time. If there's an object highlighted in green, it will only move when you stop time. And if there's an object highlighted in gold, it will move in reverse. And these are uh, added gradually. So you go through different portions of the map and you start to introduce, and that's the thing, like in order to dodge one of her, one of this boss's attacks, you have to stop time, which takes half of her projectiles, because otherwise it's like a carpet bomb, like nothing but projectiles coming down with no room to dodge. You stop time and half of those projectiles go right back to her. Don't do damage, but go back to her so that when you resume time, there's now a gap between the first uh, okay. bombardment and the second. So it's filled with all of these interesting ideas and everything that it's like, yeah, it's a Metroidvania. Again, emphasis on the Vania. They definitely love Symphony of the Night. But like both this and Dila and Wonder Labyrinth are doing their own thing so well with just this small little adjustment of mechanics that it's like these guys and... Like, you, you don't get this, like, ar arsenal either, where it's like, here's this upgrade that's a completely different button combination. Here's this upgrade is a completely, like, it's like, oh, here's this ability that you can now, like, step on the daggers you throw it when you stop time. So you can reach new heights that way. You know, stuff like that. So, it's like, it's, it, it's that here's the, the mechanics are easy to grasp. But we're going to throw so many complications at you in the gameplay that we now make you think more about how you're using these mechanics. Interesting. So, Toho Luna, and it, Toho Luna Nights isn't going to be very long. I already got like 60% of the map unlocked. Probably have maybe like two boss, bosses left or something. Two, three, I don't know. Well, unless they pull a Symphony of the Night and everything Make you do backwards. Down. Yeah. Um, or a messenger but, and make you do it in the future. But it's... It, you just really want me to play that, don't you? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Because I'm doing way, way better with my uh, priority pile, as I all call right, it. Right. Uh, which Toho Luna Nights was one of the games on there. So it's... Uh, but it's a blast, and I do think you would like it. Free on Game and it Pass. And it sounds like... It sounds like my kind of John. There you go, Nolan. John. It's his kind of John. Okay. Philly. All right. <laughs> Philly. <laughs> This water is my jaw, yo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, did you want to talk about WandaVision last? Oh, WandaVision. Yeah, we're talking about WandaVision. So, I don't know how much of this show I can even talk about without doing spoilers. So, for anyone who hasn't been paying attention, the basically the relaunch of Marvel's TV project on Disney Plus, which. The first re-relaunch, because the first launch was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the second launch was more or less Daredevil on Netflix. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was before it, wasn't it? That's right, because people were talking about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was basically going to just be its own thing. Yeah, originally they were, the first couple the, seasons they really first tried season to cross over they tried hard, to cross over, yeah. And, and then they just gave up. Um, and then anyway, so now this is the re-relaunch where we actually have the characters and actors from the movies in their own shows. So, the basic premise of WandaVision is somehow Vision is alive now, but he seems to be trapped in a period-specific genre sitcom with Wanda. And everyone's only very barely aware of what's going on. Um, so, more or less, you know, hijinks ensue... Uh, as are appropriate for the time period, the you know the first episode is is I Dream of Genie, the most recent episode. Is it okay? The most recent, or maybe Bewitched, one of one of those. Um, does she do a thing with her nose? No. Then it's but, not Bewitched. Yeah. Um, and then the I feel like the credits maybe were more Bewitched. I'm trying to remember now. I, I'm wow. I'm bad with some of these old shows. And the most recent episode, episode six, being Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, really? Well, the, 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 yeah. They really heavily kind of... But anyway, so as the series goes on, the first couple episodes are more or less 100% or 95% 
of, you know, we just had fun doing a old a, retro a retro sitcom, sitcom episode. But imagine instead of it being, you know, a bewitched or I, love or Lucy. I, I dream of Genie situation. You I'm know, pretty which, sure one of them is I Love Lucy, though. Well, I, they're, they're, they're drawing, they're definitely drawing from a number of inspirations. Yeah. But the fact that Wanda has powers. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and they're also trying to hide Vision's identity and that sort of thing sort of gives it a little bit of that okay. flavor to it. Even if there's also some I Love Lucy flavor in there, too. Okay. Um, as this, each episode. I might have misunderstood a, misunderstood a screenshot of trailer or something because right. I thought there was a scene that looked clear out of I Love Lucy. And there probably is. Um, as each episode has gone on, the ratio of, of you know, TV homage to the underlying story has kind of spread more in favor of the underlying story. Okay. So by the time you're at episode maybe four, you're starting to get an idea of what's going actually going on, uh, which I won't spoil for you. They're also introducing some other interesting MCU elements, um, which again, I won't spoil for you. Okay. Um, but characters, characters who had bit parts in previous movies who comic book fans might have recognized names and other things are getting a chance to step up. Mm, they okay. also, small spoiler here, they bring back uh, Darcy from the Thor movies oh. as the comic relief. And also, um, who's the Asian shield, or the Asian FBI agent from Ant Man? I can't think of his name. Not the one that his ex wife is married to. Well, no, you said eight. Okay, did you say eight? No, Asian. Asian. Was, okay, so yeah, the guy wasn't... who's like the guy who's like keeping tabs on it in the second one. Yeah, Ant Man too. Okay, okay. Um, I don't remember his name. Yeah, anyway, he's in it. Okay, uh, and he's good. And I just basically wanted. What I was gonna made... say, did you forty and slip or something like there? Because it's like age, Asian agent. It's like oh, uh, Asian agent. Yeah. Um, but so, okay. but I, I, and I agree but... with everybody on Twitter who thinks that that the next show just needs to be about him investigating various paranormal things in the Marvel Universe. So that show that was starring Abed from Community, where they were cleaning up after the superheroes only... Nah, nah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Oh, or yeah. I, wow. Yeah, that's, I just remembered that show existed as well. It's like that would have... I never watched, watched every, it. I watched every episode of it, and I've completely forgot it existed. I didn't watch any of it. So, anyway. It's amazing I actually remembered it at all. Yeah. But so, anyway, so it's... One, one of the things, especially after the first couple episodes, one of the first things I said was, like, who would have imagined, you know, um, when Iron Man came out, that we would be doing a TV show starring... The Scarlet Witch and Vision. Um, you know, two Marvel characters literally nobody knew outside of comic book fans. Um, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. Maybe Vision. Maybe somebody could have, like, who, because there was... I'd a, say maybe Scarlet Witch because she's Magneto's right, child. Maybe, uh, yeah. She's featured this, prominently she's, in some comic arcs. But these are not... These were not made... But uh, where... It's a faux period sitcom starring Vision and Scarlet Witch. Like, yeah. Who could have, like, who had that on their bingo card? I want to know. <laughs> and, and then I like the other one, the other joke about how, um, you know, because Paul Bettany, you know, went into the studio oh, yeah, just to, read some, lines, to yeah. read some lines for Iron Man in 2008, you know, now he needs to get in full makeup yeah. for, to shoot a... TV show about Vision being, you know, whatever, whatever it was. But yeah, yeah. you know, it's just, it's like it's from an alternate reality or something, but I'm loving it. It's really well constructed. It's, it's one of those things where it's, this is like the MCU at its sort of, I don't know, artsiest in terms of trying to do something that's really higher concept than you would expect. Maybe not artsiest, but definitely higher concept. But then again, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. I'll, yeah. I'll wait until it's done because like, I, I like I don't like watching these things week by week anymore. I'd rather binge the show. Um, right, you got probably got like two more weeks then. Yeah, because they're yeah. probably like, a, like like Mandalorian. It's probably like eight hours. Um, 
and that's the thing. Like, I'm actually looking forward to. I watched the trailer for um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and that looks good. But that looks more like what you'd expect as well. Right. That looks like exactly what you'd want. And that that's the thing. It's like, what am I signing up for? For um, oh my goodness, Sebastian Stan and Anthony, Anthony Mackie. Mackie. Um, I was about to say Anthony Winston. It's like, no, that's not right. Um, Anthony Mackie. Because, um, like, off camera, when you watch their interviews and stuff, they got a great dynamic, man. They right. got a great, and, and clearly great some, antagonist chemistry. And it's like... Clearly somebody at, at this, you know, at, at Marvel saw that. And, and was, was like, like this, 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 this <laughs> you gotta make this happen. It, it's so weird that you're, like, one of the major characters of the MCU... Like, or at least one of the major like identities of hero, Captain America, right? And now it's like you're going to be the next Captain America on a TV show instead of a movie. Congratulations! Like, <laughs> your whole character arc's going to be a TV show instead. But that's the funny thing about today, where it's like, especially now with the the pandemic, it's like, is that really so bad? Well, considering we, I, I just posted, yeah, yeah the, like, the schedule. So we were supposed to have had. Black, Black Widow, Widow already. Um, Immortals. And Shang-Chi, Enter the Fist, was supposed to be out, like, today. Or no, last week. Last weekend. Last weekend. Um, and, and now Black Widow's still not out. We still haven't seen Black Widow. Um, but we're getting Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we've had WandaVision. And you know yeah. what? I'm okay with that. You know what? Just Let's just do, let's just do a whole phase that's <laughs> just TV shows. <laughs> I'm okay with the with old those. characters because that's that, that was one of the interesting choices as well though is they decided the old so if you still wanted the old characters you can have them whereas the films it's like the films they wanted to be like okay that's one generation down everyone that grew up with this generation is now ten years older let's move on to the next generation effectively reboot the MCU in a way right um, you still got some guys coming back like Doctor Strange and Wanda's gonna be in the Doctor Strange Doctor movie. Strange in the multi yeah that's um, supposed to be out, that was originally scheduled for like May and um jeez jeez yeah um but oh sorry I just remembered the New Mutants came out at some point and it was just meh yeah they, they finally came out after being pushed back like how many years to even before the pandemic it's like before well, before the merger before the merger, you're right, yeah. That's a movie that it's like, dude, just release that on Disney Plus, man. Like they should have yeah. just released that on Disney Plus or Hulu. That should have just been a straight to, to, to straight to video, yeah. Straight to straight to streaming. Like it probably would have done a lot better if it was just straight to streaming. Um, but regardless of any of that, um, unless you wanted to talk about something else, I think that calls it a show. That's, that's a wrap, yeah. So it's actually briefly short this week. Uh, well, mercifully short. I won't have nearly as much music to put into the background, thank goodness. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that's evening. As I said, I might stream more next week, but considering all things. Uh, so, twitch.tv slash ramblepack64, ramblepack64.com. Hopefully, I'll have more blogs posted. I've been slacking a little bit on that, but, I mean, yeah, like just visit ramblepack64.com. Check it out. Check everything out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> um, but otherwise, everybody have a good night. Have a good night.